0: God and these 12 steps, I get to be alive here today and to share this story with you. So really, this is the story of what God has done for me. Um, and I'm very, very grateful that I get to share that. Before I came into program, um, I'll tell you, I'll just qualify a little bit. Um, before I came into program, I was binging every single night. I Food was never loud for me. You know, it never had to scream anything to me. Why should it? It would just whisper and I would do exactly what it would tell me to do. You know, I'd be uh, driving home from work. I'd hear this soft voice that would be like, you know, be so nice. Why don't we go here? Let's go to this drive through and then let's go over there. And that's all like I didn't need to fight it. I didn't I didn't pretend that I wasn't going to do it. I just knew as soon as I heard that voice, I was going to do it. I had stopped making any promises. There were no Monday morning promises for me. I woke up Monday morning knowing I was going to binge, making a decision to binge and then following through on that decision. That's where this disease had gotten me. And as a human being, I was a, like, I was a shell of a person. You know, my whole life revolved around my couch and the bag that I had my hand in at that particular time. You know, I I was, I was a child, I had not grown up. I was dependent on everyone and everything and I couldn't do anything for myself. Um, I had no relationships. Other people were in relationship with me. I just wasn't in relationship with anybody else because I didn't know how to show up for anything. Um, and I was afraid all the time. I couldn't even tell you what I was afraid of. A fear was just like a hum that was in the background of my life. It was just, I couldn't even tell you one specific thing. It was just, I was afraid of everything all the time. Living like this, I got to, uh, before it, right before I came into program, I was over 250 pounds. Um, I was, uh, I'm only five feet tall. So that's actually quite a significant amount of weight. Uh, and that had messed up, messed me up physically so much that it had messed up my hormones so much that it, it caused an extreme um, amount of anemia so because of that i was in the er constantly because my blood levels would drop so significantly that they needed to either give me an iron infusion or a blood transfusion because there wasn't enough blood going going around in my body and i don't know if, you, if anyone's had that kind of anemia but what that feels like is there are days when i had such bad shortness of breath it felt like I was asphyxiating. I would go through five or six hours where I would only be able to take maybe one or two really deep breaths that like, actually went down into my lungs. It's the most terrifying feeling that you can't actually take in oxygen. None of that made any difference. I had doctors in the ER looking at me like, you are 30 years old, we don't know why you're here, we can't fix you, and we don't know what to do with you. You know, And you're not gonna make it long if this continues. And it did. None of that made any difference to my binging or, or the amount of food or the type of food that I was eating until finally I, I got a new family doctor and I went to see her for a physical, which I hadn't gone for in five years because I hate seeing doctors uh, until finally. And I couldn't I couldn't um, evade her any longer. I went in for a physical and she pulled out the BMI chart, that horrible, horrible chart. And um, she showed me that I was no longer on the chart because I was only five feet tall and 250 pounds, I wasn't even on the chart anymore. She said, Crystal, if you don't lose over a hundred pounds, first of all, you're not going to make it. And even if you do lose hundred pounds, that will put you in the obese category. Um, and that, that scared me enough to be like, okay, that, that's, that's significant. I need to at least be on the chart. Um, okay. I'm going to pull out the diets. I'm going to pull out the exercise. I'm let's, let's do this, you know? And my doctor said to me, don't bother. No one has ever lost that much of weight and kept it off for any significant period of time. You need to do the bariatric surgery. First of all, that scared me. The fact that my doctor didn't think I could actually lose the weight, the fact that she thought I had to be surgically altered to stop eating food. Like none of that sat right with me, but then more importantly, I went home and I looked at what you had to eat after you had a bariatric surgery. I saw the word cottage cheese and it was like, hell no absolutely not. I will not be doing that. Um, I knew, and, and more than anything, you know, I knew you can staple my stomach. You can, ju- you can do whatever you want to me. I will still find a way to eat the food just because you staple my stomach and I get sick, you know, every time I eat, that's not going to stop me. I get sick all the time. Anyways, I'm just going to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it and what quantity I want to eat it, whatever the consequences are, because that's, that's just how I had been living. Um, And then finally, I ended up uh, I was uh, that summer. I went to France on a pilgrimage with a friend and she knew about what my doctor had said. I knew it was this thing hanging over my head. I didn't know what I was going to do. We were sitting in this French cafe and I was eating, you know, uh, French bread and butter. And and she looked at me and she was like, oh, you know, I guess that's the last time you're going to get to enjoy that. So you might as well, you know, enjoy. And I remember the moment she said that in my head, uh, it was so clear the word no i don't care what happens i will pretend for everyone else but i will eat what i want to eat and i will die doing it i don't care and it was such a clear decision that i don't care about the consequences i will die but i will eat what i want to eat and that like it never occurred to me that that is an insane decision an insane thought a 30 year old girl willing to throw her life away for bread and butter you know and the next day i was in this uh you know like pilgrimage place and i was lighting these candles and and praying and i remember thinking to myself you know that was that was a pretty significant decision like that's an important decision you made crystal you should probably confirm you know that that's your that's your plan of action and i have no other way to explain this but god that decision was just removed from me i know when i make a decision you know like especially when it's a decision to eat nobody gets through to me after i've made my decision and that decision was just gone. I could not bring it back. And I remember standing there and saying to God, "Okay, you know, you've taken the decision away from me, but now you need to provide a solution because I have none. I've tried everything. I've done the doctor-assisted thing. I've done the MyFitnessPal app thing. I've done the my own ridiculous diets. I've done. I've done everything. I don't know what to do here. You need. You need to do something. And when I came back from France, my best friend called me." And she said, you know, I was watching this show on Netflix. It's called This Is Us. And there's a girl in that show that's on it. She's in a food addiction program. I looked it up. There's there's actually a meeting in your in your city. You know, I'll come with you if you want. Please don't be mad at me. You know, that was her because anyone who brought me any kind of you know diet plan was just click. I'm not interested, you know, um, and they don't stay in my life very long. And for the first time in my whole life, I was like, OK, I'll go. And then obviously I procrastinated for a bunch of months. And then finally I actually showed up at my first O.A. meeting and this was the first time I met people who were like me, who did what I did with food, who showed up to drive throughs and pretended they were ordering for a family of four when they were just ordering for one person, you know, and, and they weren't, they weren't sad about it. Like they were, they were laughing about it. You know, and I heard someone, I heard them say ridiculous things. Like I haven't eaten fast food in five years. And like, and they didn't sound sad, like they were happy about it. Like this was a, this was a wonderful thing, you know, and and I just I couldn't. I was like, like, could they be lying? Like, why would they lie about stuff like that? You know, it just it didn't make any sense to me. And I was still on the fence. And then this person at this meeting, which, by the way, was the smallest OYA meeting ever. There was like one person who was kind of in recovery and then two other newcomers and me. That was that was it, you know, and she said something to me. She said, you know, why don't you come back next week? There's a person who has lost over 300 pounds and has kept it off for eight years and you can meet them. They're coming next week. And I was just like, Whoa, like my doctor said, that's not even possible. I need to see this person with my own eyes. And I showed up the next meeting and there they were in the flesh. And that was it. I was like, okay, I'm in, tell me what I need to do. They told me make a plan. You know, I wrote out my foods. I got a sponsor. And then I, you know, did the thing that I'm sure all of us did. I tried to find the easier, softer way. I played around. I did, basically everything except what my sponsor told me to do. Um, I was getting you a know, 30 day chip, 60 day chip, 90 day chip, and just not working the steps at all until finally my sponsor said to me, you know, Crystal, you know, like if you're not ready, that's, that's okay. Come back when you are, but I have to work with someone who's ready because you're doing the food thing, but you're not working the steps. And that's not what this is. This is not, this is not a diet program, you know, and I'm very grateful because she was one of the first people, who treated me like an adult, even though I was behaving like a child. And I'm very grateful to her for that. Um, And that's when, you know, I actually started, I decided to take this program seriously. I put down all the food, all the behaviors and all the quantities of food. And once I did that, I got desperate very fast because there was nothing to take the edge off. And now it was like, give give me something. Like life is coming at me and like I'm standing in my kitchen crying and I don't know why. Like I, I need something, like I need a way to live my life and I don't have it, so help. And that's when I decided to put put my mind aside. The thing that I thought was my ally my whole life, uh, I now fired it. It was like, you're done, you're done. You All those great ideas that you have got me to here. I'm, I'm 30 years and I'm old and I almost killed myself. You're done. I'm now willing to do whatever my sponsor tells me to do, how she tells me to do it, when she tells me to do it. No thinking, you know, that's stupid. She probably wants me to do this. I could probably do it this way. Or, you know, she's told me three things to do. It's probably this one's most, the most important one. I'll do that one. No, whatever she told me to do, I just got it done. The only question I got to ask her was ask myself was are her instructions clear? If her instructions were clear, my motto was crystal get it the F done. Nobody asked you if you liked it. Nobody asked you if you had a better idea, just get it done. And that's what I did. And once and after that, after doing that, I that's when I really started to work the steps. And then I um, at one point I, I, I lost my first sponsor because she wasn't able to sponsor anymore. And I started working with a new sponsor who was uh, a big book sponsor, who was from a vision for you. And she started she got me to start listening to the vision for you meetings and she started working the steps with me using the big book. And that changed my life. That was when just miracles started happening. And today I'm I'm three years recovered, uh, three years of abstinence and recovered from my from the disease of compulsive overeating. I am unrecognizable inside and out physically. I've lost over 100 pounds. Truthfully, I actually don't know how much uh, weight I've lost. My sponsor tells me she thinks I've lost over 100 pounds because she's seen me before. I don't ever step on a weighing scale. I, I honestly don't care. I don't care what the number is on the scale. So I've never stepped on one. What I do know is my dad doesn't recognize me. So I'll be at, like till today, three years in, I'll be at church and I'll be like, Dad. And and he'll just kind of look at me with this blank stare. And afterwards, he'll be like, I'm so sorry. You've just changed so much. Like, I, I just, I didn't realize it was you, you know, actually, my favorite story was, um, is coming back from the U S to Canada and board, having to explain to border security, who's the girl on my passport. That's actually not a very fun, fun, uh, you know, aspect of recovery. Luckily, uh, luckily even border security was like, what did you do? Tell me what you did, you know? Um, so. I'm not recognizable on the outside, but even more so on the inside. Like I am I'm, I'm a totally different person on the inside. I don't even know who that girl was three years ago. You know, um, And and the other thing physically is that not just my weight has changed, but the obsession with food is gone. It's gone. I don't wake up a single day thinking, oh, I so wish that I could, you know, I could eat that or like, oh, man, I guess I can't eat that today. It's good riddance. Like you took 30 years of my life. I'm not giving you one second more. I Like I don't grieve that food at all. You know, before when I would go out to restaurants, my friends would put, it was funny, my, my, I, I had to like look away or, or walk away whenever they were eating something that I couldn't eat. And I remember uh, about like two years into recovery or something, I went out to a restaurant with my friends and they started to put menus up around me, like just like hold them up around me. And, I was, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you making like a wall of menus around me? And they're like, well, cause our desserts are coming and you, you wanna, wanna look at the dessert, right? And, I'm, and I remember at that moment I was like, oh my gosh, I don't care. Put the menus down, eat your ice cream. I don't care, I don't want it. I love my abstinent food and I don't want any of that anymore. So that freedom I'm so grateful for. And the other aspect of my recovery has been spiritual. I have now been connected to a God who loves me. I have a relationship with him that is real. It is personal. It is in every day, every moment of every day he's with me. He doesn't doesn't hold up impossible bars. He doesn't test me. He doesn't take things away from me that I love. He doesn't force me to do things I don't want to do. You know, he's not waiting for me to fail. He's He's with me every single day and he just helps me all the time. He loves me all the time. He, not only that, but I remember every time he teaches me every single day and every time he teaches me something, I'm like, you know, I'm going to forget this tomorrow, right? Like, or by evening, basically, I'm going to forget this. And what he says to me is I know, and I'm going to remind you over and over because I love doing it. I love reminding you how much I love you and what I'm doing for you. You know, that is the God that I have. But today I'm here to talk about my emotional recovery, because in this program I grew up. In this program I did my laundry for the first time. I used my dishwasher for the first time. I learned how to cook and freeze food for the first time. I learned like, like everything. Do my taxes, pay my debts. Like these. I didn't do any of these things um, before recovery. And literally, I'm, I'm not even joking. My sponsor was on the phone with me, t- telling me how to do use my dishwasher for the first time. You know she was with me on the phone when i was in the grocery store like like how do i buy food like how do i cook how do i how do i you know plan my meals all of these things i learned in recovery but one of the biggest things that has changed is my relationships and i'm so grateful that i get to share that with you today because you know when i came into uh into the program when i did my step four so i made a list of all the people that i resented there were 300 people on my list I think it would probably have been easier if I made a list of people I didn't resent because basically it's everybody I've ever, ever met in my life, other than like, I don't know, like bus drivers and, and like, I don't know, flight attendants or something, you know, it was everybody I've ever met. And what that showed me was that I have no idea how to do relationships. Anybody that has spent more than five minutes with me, all I end up with is either feeling resentful to them for something they did or feeling guilty over something I did. You know and and that's the only way i know how to be in relationship with people and what's amazing i'm going to tell you today about some of the most important relationships in my life and how they've changed and what's amazing to me is i didn't work on a single one of those relationships you know, i'm going to tell you about my mom my sister my dad my best friends because these are the ones that were closest to me and the ones i had the biggest resentments over oh my gosh my list of resentments for them like went pages and pages long and But I didn't, I didn't wake up a single day thinking today, you're going to be a good daughter today. You're going to be a good sister. You're going to be kind and patient. You're going to be of service. You're going to do all like none of these, none of these things. I just work the steps and God transformed me. I have never had to put up a single boundary in any of my relationships because I don't need to protect myself anymore. I have a God that protects me and changes me and I don't need anybody else to change in my life. And that's what I'm going to tell you about today. So first one I'm going to start with is my mom. So growing up, me and my mom were like water and oil. Like we just didn't speak the same language, totally different people. I like, I hate to say this, but like I hated her. I hated her. You know, I thought like she, she never protected me. She was never there for me. She had betrayed me. She, I, I was so sure that she, if she had her choice, she would want my old, my old, eldest cousin to be her real daughter. I was like this disappointment of a daughter to her. She never talked to me. Like I would be like, mom, like talk to me. And like, while I'm talking to her, she'd be like on, she'd be on Facebook. And I just be like, like, why can't you just have a five minute conversation with me? You know, why can't you listen to me? Why can't you be that mom that like we have this like mother daughter relationship that we can talk things out and you can give me advice and, you know, and I can learn from you. And she criticized every nothing I did was ever good enough for her ever. Like who I was, was not good enough for her you know, and she never appreciated anything I did. I would like for her birthdays, I would make her these elaborate cards, like these beautiful cards and she she wouldn't care at all. All she cared about was like, Crystal, you've made a mess. You've cut up all this craft paper and there's like a huge mess here and, you know, go clear that up and then she would just like, I don't even know she kept any of those cards. They would just go into the garbage and that it would hurt so deeply, you know, and my mom and dad, their marriage was not good. And I always felt like she was such a coward. You know, she never stood up to my dad. She never left, did anything. Like she just, she was just this passive woman, you know, and I had to go find role models elsewhere. Everybody else had to be my mom because my mom couldn't be my mom. You know, that was the relationship I have. And then I did my step five and I sat across from my sponsor and she showed me my patterns of thinking. And she showed me how I could, she said, like, I remember sitting there. Like, I remember this shell-shocked face because my sponsor showed me how my mom had protected me her whole life, her whole life she had protected me. She wasn't a coward. In fact, she was one of the most courageous women I had in my life. She showed me all the different ways my mom had stood up for me and taken the consequences for standing up for me in a horrible way. And I remember like literally my sponsor saw my face just like, like, it's like somebody had punched me in the gut. I remember driving home from my sponsor's place, like literally like in shock, just like autopilot on the highway, just like, what just happened? because I suddenly saw my mom in a whole different light. And, and since then, you know, I had all these turning points with her, like one of the big turning points I had was this one time, um, you know, my mom, uh, she wanted me to come out for dinner with my family and my family never eats on time. Like they, oh my gosh, like they'll say dinner is gonna be at seven. Like my family's all compulsive overeaters. They eat throughout the day. So they don't care when they eat. I eat my like three meals and I eat my lunch at 12 and usually I'm hungry by 6 p.m. You know, but they don't care if they eat at nine and 10. And by nine and 10, I'm going crazy, you know? So I was like, you know what, guys, that's fine. I'll come with you to the restaurant for dinner, but I'm gonna eat my food at home. And then because after a couple of times of having, you know, this kind of thing happen, I was like, I'm gonna eat my food at home, I'll come spend time with you at the restaurant. And that's not good enough for my mom. And she was like, no, no, that doesn't count. Like you have to eat with us, you know. And and so what did I do? I like put up my, you know, I drew up my line and like, no. I have said I'm going to eat my food at home and I'll come spend time with you at the restaurant. Right. That, you know, that voice that like boundary voice of like, again, repeating my decision, I'm going to eat at home, you know, and, and that's getting my mom even more angry and my mom's pushing and I'm pushing and my, you know, that kind of thing's happening. And, and my mom's finally like, you know what, what I'm going to do is don't worry. like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to pick you up early. We'll go to the restaurant early. We'll make sure you can order your food. And, and then mom and, you know, dad and your sister will come and, and I'm like, no, 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 no. no. I have made a decision. You are going to respect my decision. And so this is happening and I call my sponsor cause now I'm in like step 10 category. I'm like in a full resentment and I call my sponsor and she's like, Crystal, what are you doing? Your whole family is bending over backwards because they want you to be with them. Your mom is finding a whole different way to have dinner just so that you can eat with them. What is wrong with you? and uh sorry she didn't say what is wrong with you but that's that's what i heard and um and for the first time it hit me i'm like what am i doing why am i trying to protect myself when they're trying to love me not hurt me and and i called up my mom and i'm like and i'm like you know what i'll I'll come i'll come for dinner your plan works thank you i'll be there and i remember i was gonna go over to her house and you know i was gonna make my amends right because i've i've um i've i've been mean to her i've been rude to her and usually my amends are, you know, Mom, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. And, you know, th- you know, I'll, I'll you know, I'll come for dinner. And I hate those because honestly, it's so awkward for the rest of dinner because I've said this awkward sorry and my mom's, you know, sort of kind of accepted it in this awkward way. And instead, I didn't make that amends. Instead, I ran up to her when I got to her house. I gave her the biggest hug and I said, Mom, thank you so much for finding a way for me to have dinner with you. I love eating with you guys. I just, I can never do it. And I can't believe you actually did all this just so that I could eat with you. Thank you. And that just diffused all the tension and we had a wonderful dinner. That was a turning point for me because I realized for the first time, I don't need to protect myself from my mom. She loves me. She has always loved me. I've just never seen it, you know, and, and, and that was huge because I realized that that's what an amends is. It's not an awkward, sorry. It's, it's showing up and receiving people's love and when i did my amends to my mom oh my gosh you know i didn't sit i cuz i i i'd hurt her in many ways but i did not sit there and give her a whole list of like and remember that time when i did this and when i did this and when i did this i'm so sorry like cuz honestly that would have bummed her out like that would have been a horrible amends for her you know instead it was mom you were the most wonderful mom to me i'm so sorry i didn't i didn't recognize it i had like the most courageous wonderful woman in my life and I kept looking for that elsewhere. I'm so sorry. You know. And what was amazing was my mom said to me, She was like, she was like, Oh, you know, I never saw anything like that. I didn't see you do any of that stuff. I'm so grateful. I had two wonderful kids, and you know, there's nothing more else I could I could ask for from God. And I'm so grateful for the life we have. And I remember I came home from my um from my amends and I called my sponsor and I'm like, it was such a wonderful amends, and I can't believe it. My mom and I talked for like 45 minutes, you know, and and it was so beautiful. And and, and I was like, and I don't understand, like, how did she change so much without program? Like, you know, how, like, how did she become so wise and grateful and peaceful without program? And my sponsor was like, has it occurred to you, like, that she was always wise, grateful and peaceful, and that you just never saw it? And that's all that's changed is you, and that you can actually see her for who she is now. And it was just like, wow, it was like, it like god never ceases to amaze me you know and today my mom will call me and like i couldn't get her to talk to me for five minutes like now she'll be chatting with me for 45 minutes on the phone until i'm like you know like i should probably go now you know and i can't believe it you know that that we have this mother-daughter relationship today i you know i can't believe it like i will give her she waits she doesn't even care about the gift i get her for her birthday she just wants the card like she just wants to read what's in my card i don't make her any fancy cards i just buy her cards but she loves what I write in the letter because I mean it. Now the stuff I write in there is real. And I couldn't believe it, but she told me, she was like, I have a special box. I put all your cards in there. And when I'm sad, I pull out your cards and I read them. And I'm like, you keep my cards and you read them. And it was just, I can't believe this, you know? So that's my relationship with my mom. You know, I, I can't wait to see, you know, look, what what's gonna happen tomorrow, because I can't imagine how this relationship could get any better, but I know it will because God's involved and it always happens, you know. Um with with my sister, uh oh my gosh. Like my my little sister's job was to protect me. I had to be her number one priority. And she was my little fix-it project. You know, like my little distraction from the fact that my life was falling apart, I would like fix my sister, you know, and and we would yell and scream and oh it was it was horrible. And then, you know, and then I got into recovery And then I did the thing, you know, I was like, first of all, my sister is a compulsive overeater and she's she's overweight. She eats the way I used to eat. And I could not stand to be around her. I hate to say this because I feel horrible saying this, but she disgusted me. Like if I had to watch her eat food, it was like, I can't be around you. I can't eat you. Watch like you're having an orgasm because that's how I used to eat. And I can't I can't be around that. You know and i would just create all these barriers i'd like stop talking to her and or when she talked to me i'd use that like program voice with her you know where it's like that self-righteous judgmental you know like "Mm, well you know i tried to get you to come to a meeting but you know if you're not going to come to a meeting then you know you've made your bed so good for you you know that kind of a that that's how i was with her you know and in my six and seven Uh, when I was in step six and seven, my sponsor pointed out to me, this is what it means to be in six and seven. God puts people in your life who mirror to you what you are like. First of all, so that you can, it becomes objectionable and you never want to be like that again. And you become actually willing for God to remove your defects of character. But second of all, so that you can finally, by accepting them, by loving them, by having compassion for them, I will eventually have compassion for myself. And I remember I couldn't believe it because I I was saying to my sponsor, I'm like, I don't know what to do. She wants to be around me and I can't, I can't stand to be around her. And my sponsor is like, you know, don't be fake. Don't try and do something that you're, that's not you just keep working the steps, keep doing the resentment inventories, keep doing the fear inventories, keep asking God to remove this. And I promise you one day it will be, it will be removed one day. You will, you, this, this anger and this resentment you have towards her will turn into compassion. And one day when you've had compassion for her, it will turn into compassion for you, for who you used to be in this disease. And that has happened today. When I made my amends to my sister, honestly, I got to say to her with all my heart, no, there was no, uh, pretending, I love you so much. You are my little sister. And I'm so sorry that I never let you just be my little sister. You are the best sister I could have ever had. And I meant it. I absolutely meant it. And today I don't fix her. I don't even give her advice on anything. Oh my gosh, the advice I used to give her. Now, sometimes she'll come to me and be like, can you give me your advice? And you know, most of the time what I say to her, is like, you got this. You got this. You're so good at this. You know, I know you, you're going to figure this out. Because you are so you have got an instinct that I don't have. And I affirm her all the time. I tell her I love her all the time. When she complains to me about how mom and dad are, I don't tell her, well, you know, you're in a codependent relationship with them and maybe you should move out in mom and dad's and stop meddling in their marriage. Maybe that will make things better. You know, I don't do any of that. Or I don't, you know, you know how when you when you can say all that without even saying any of it, just with your eyes, just kind of give her that look of well, you know, none of that. It's like, wow, I'm so sorry. That must be so hard I don't know how you handle all of it you know I'm, I'm gonna pray for you I'm here for you you know those are the kinds of things I say to her and you know what's amazing after years of trying to convince her to like move out of mom and dad's you know please like I did every possible manipulation guilt I threw everything at her you know my my judgmental advice voice none of that worked and then when I finally backed away and like just stopped bugging her I remember like a, a month ago she's like you know I've been kind of looking at real estate. Maybe I'm going to move out of mom and dad's. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I didn't even have to like drag you out of there. You're doing this on your own. You know, and like that, it's amazing. The moment I backed away from everybody, the moment I got out of the picture, everybody around me started getting better. Sorry, is that 20 minutes? 20. 20. Thank you. Thank you. Um, even like my mom and dad's marriage, I was their marriage. I've never even had a boyfriend and I was their marriage counselor. I was their Like I I was giving my dad marriage advice. My, I was my mom's husband. I was my dad's wife in a weird, creepy way. You know, it's just like coaching both of them on how to be better husbands and wives when I haven't even had a boyfriend. And, um, what was amazing was in program. I stopped doing that because I'm not qualified and I hurt them when I do it, you know, um, and not to even protect me, just like protect them from me. You know, and the moment I stopped doing that, like, I I remember I was like, they're getting a divorce. Like the moment I walk away from their marriage, they're getting a divorce. And I walked away and you know what happened? They got a dog and the dog loves them so much. It makes them so happy. It fixed their marriage. And I was just like, wow, God, like that's humbling. You know, when, when you walk away and and their marriage gets better because they got a dog, that's humbling, you know? And uh, my relationship with my dad, oh my gosh, my dad, he was never the man I wanted him to be never, ever. And I was, I mean, he was just, he was crude. He never said the right thing. He was never the dad I could go to for advice or any kind of emotional, you know, anything. He criticized everything. He would walk into my apartment and my apartment would be spotless. And he'd be like, he'd be like is that a scratch on your microwave? Have you been, have you cleaned your microwave? Have you like, it's like, oh, dad, everything is wrong. Like nothing can ever be right for him. You know, and we would scream at each other. And I would, I would storm out of the house and you know, just, oh, I, I would belittle him. I would, he couldn't get a sentence out without me interrupting him. Uh, like, I, everything he did was wrong, you know? And I remember when I had to do my amends to him, um, I wrote out my amends and I read it to my sponsor. And she's like, you know, Crystal, like, the words are right, but like, something's wrong. Like, some, something's just not right. And I was like, okay, I mean, I've, I've already told my dad I'm meeting him on Saturday. It's Thursday. Like, what do you want me to do? You know, And she was like, okay, go to God, ask God what it is. And so I, I go to God that night and I call my sponsor on Friday. And I'm like, okay, I think I figured it out. Uh, what's coming to me when I when I go to God is that I'm still resentful towards my dad. Like the words are fine, but the spirit of what I'm saying is I'm going to clean up my side, but you know what you did. You know, you disappointed me, but I'm going to clean up my side because I need to do that for my program, for the program, you know? Um, and that's not, the, that's not the spirit in which I can make an amends, you know? And my sponsor was like, okay. You need to go to God and you need to ask God to, not to give you the right words for your, your amends. You need to ask God to sh- help you see your dad differently. You know? And I'm like, like, what am I supposed to do? My amends is tomorrow. I have 24 hours your, and like God is supposed to change how I see my dad after 35 years. And I don't want to tell you, like God's really fast when he needs to be. Like the next morning I called my sponsor in tears, in tears. I'm like, I get it. I get it now. I know what I did. I realized that my dad, you know, he gave me everything he had to give. There were things he didn't have to give. Like he just didn't know how to do those things, but what he had to give, he gave it all to me. You know, he didn't have to this, like the sacrifices he made for me, the way he loved me, every way he knew how he did, he gave it all. And that was never enough for me. And I always looked at him with this disappointment of, like, here's the bar. I know you will never be able to reach it because you can't. Like, I'm asking a few things that you don't even have to give, but I'm gonna hold that bar. And as long as you don't reach it, I'm gonna look at you with disappointment and disapproval and hatred, you know? And I know that. The way I know that is because I do that to myself all the time. I expect myself to do things that I can't even do but I will hold myself up to that bar. And when I don't meet that bar, I will berate myself in my head. And because I do that to myself, I know what it must feel like for my dad to be on the receiving end of that all his life. When he has given me everything he had to give. And for the first time I was able to get on my knees and say, God, you know, I don't care this prayer that I love. God, I don't care what I look like, what I sound like, who I'm with, where I live. I just don't want to be like this anymore. I don't wanna do this to my dad anymore and I don't wanna do this to myself anymore. On your terms and in your time, please remake me as you will. And I meant it. And honestly, that whole morning, my sponsor was like, whatever plans you have, you know, grocery shopping, food prep, what all that stuff, cancel it, cancel it. You're just gonna sit with this. And I spent that whole morning just in tears, just having God hold me and be in tears because I don't wanna be like that anymore. And that day I went and made my amends to my dad and it was the the words were the same. It was the same words I had written before. But the spirit in which I said them was different. It was a real amends this time. And my dad was so gracious. He was so gracious. You know, he, he received them with such kindness, you know, and, and I'm so grateful. And, you know, I'm going to give you an example of what what this change has been like with my family. 2019, I went to Montreal with my family and I made the disastrous decision of staying in an Airbnb with my mom, dad and sister in, Oh my gosh. And like, uh, I have not lived with them in a while. And my mom and dad, I don't know if anyone else's families like this, like they talk over each other and everyone's in everybody else's business. And it's like, you can't get a word. And there's not one moment of silence. And it's just, I just wanted to like go into a corner and just like rock myself and just be like, everybody just please be quiet for five minutes. You know, and and like they don't like they eat whenever they binge all the time they eat. It's like a continuous meal from the time they wake up until the time they go to bed and they don't care what time they eat and they don't care that I'm hungry and I'm starving. And like, honestly, like the number of step tens that happened in Montreal. Like, thank goodness I have a long distance plan on my phone because it was just constantly calling. And within 24 hours by 9 p.m. because I've not had my meal and I'm starving and we're waiting outside this Montreal restaurant while they're binging on my like favorite binge food. I'm on the phone with my sponsor, complete mental breakdown, complete. She's my is using that voice that she has to use with me when I'm when, when she's like has to talk me off the ledge of like, we're going to be calm now. You're OK, you're safe, because that's the kind of voice I needed, you know. And just this past weekend, my uh, I had an uncle who passed away from COVID. Uh, He was my, he was my dad, my mom's brother, and she was very close to him. And she was devastated. And I went and I spent the whole day with my mom, my dad and my sister in their home with double masks. And um, I spent the whole day with them, not because I had to not because the right thing to do, I just wanted to, I just wanted to be there. And what was amazing was, like, I was there. I, I ran up and down. I, I just listened. I held them when they needed to be held. I, I tried to make them smile whenever I could. I cooked for them. I did the laundry. I just, whatever I could do, I did around the house, you know, and I was just present with them and they did all the same stuff, talking over each other, like no, like eating constantly, like, you know, all that stuff. It was the same, not one single step 10 in the whole day. And it was seven. I remember it was seven thirty at night. I, I, my meals are normally like 6:01. I'm eating my meal, you know, um, and it's 7:30 at night. I'm folding their laundry, and I don't even care that I've not eaten my dinner. I'm just like, I was just so happy. I got home, and I was exhausted, and I was like, I am so happy. I can't even, I can't, even, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, and I've learned that it is in giving to my family that makes me happy, not in what they give me, you know. And I'm so grateful because I don't need to protect myself and my family anymore. Honestly, of all the people that have tried to protect me, I am the worst. I am just the worst. I did a horrible job. God is the only one that's done a good job of protecting me. And you know, the constant thing that was all over my step, my step five or my step four was like, I am a doormat. I am a doormat. My mom makes me do these things. My dad makes me do these things. I'm a doormat to everybody. And what was amazing was in my step five, what I realized, what I came to realize is I'm not a doormat anymore. I don't need boundaries anymore because I'm not a doormat. I'm a welcome mat. You know, my sometimes my family will use me. They will try and manipulate me. They will try and use guilt and manipulation and all that stuff. And I can see it and it's okay. It's okay. if I can help, I'll help, you know, I I get it. I know why they're using it. I used to use it, too. It's actually a horrible place to be in when those are the only tools you have. And 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 I, and I, I wish for them that they didn't that they had other tools. And I hope one day they will. But if they're even if they're using with with me, I don't care. I love them. And if I can help them, I'll help them. Cause I'm not a doormat. I'm a welcome mat, you know? And what's amazing is I didn't wake up a single day thinking today, Crystal, you're going over to your mom's place and you're going to be patient and you'll be kind, you know, and you're going to do some service. No, my family's not my service. My family is my family. And I love them because I love them, not because I have to be of service. or I have to be some kind of a good away person. You know, I love them and they have always loved me. I just never saw it. And today I get to see it, you know, and I get to love them back. That's all that has changed. Um, And one more thing I'm gonna mention is my friendships. My friendships have changed so much. Oh my gosh. You know, something that happened when I got into recovery is uh, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this. um, I became over sober, you know, I, I went from being the life of the party to just being like suddenly now everything is about program and everything is super serious and everything has to be discussed to death and everything has to be like you have to like you know think it through and like pray about it and like you know write 15 inventories about it. I was just such a serious person. Oh my gosh like my poor friends like you know none of their jokes were funny. You know I, I was just so serious all the time because I honestly, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I found funny anymore. And I was just, I was a horrible person to be around. Like I was, oh, you know, and I was just a pain in the butt, you know, and, um, like I suddenly, you know, when you, when all your life is about a spiritual awakening and, you know, how to better your, you know, how to be a better person and how to let God into your life and all these kinds of things, suddenly you don't really want to talk about the bachelorette or, you know, what, you know, like, I don't know gossip about what's happening in people's work and i would just look down on all my friends like oh you know i'm just so above all these things that you want to talk about and i started to slowly cut them out especially my best friend i started to cut her out because i was above her now you know i'm not like her i'm i'm evolved i'm like you know i've evolved past being a human being and i no longer need her little pity things you know in minutes thank you and um and i'm so grateful because i started to cut her out and two things happened First of all, what shocked me, because first of all, I I didn't mention this, my friend, uh, I resented her so much. She was another one that had the hugest uh, space on my inventory, my fourth step, because she would just bully me. She would make all my decisions for me. Like I would be at a store and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to buy this. She would grab it out of my hand and be like, no, that's too expensive. You're not buying it. You know, and I'd be like, how dare you? Because once I, you know, got into recovery, I'm like, you know what? Now, how dare you? I'm myself and I'm independent and you're not going to treat me this way. And I started to cut her out, you know, and two things happened. First of all. Um, she actually didn't react much when I cut her out. Like I thought she was going to be like, what happened? Like, and devastated, like, you know, crystals out of my life. And what am I going to do? And she, she just kind of moved on. Like she just kind of went and hung out with her other friends. And I'm like, oh, like she didn't notice that I stopped talking to her, you know? and, And, and that showed me that maybe the problem was me, not her, you know? And that's what came out of my step five. I thought she was needy and clingy. It was the other way around. I had globbed onto her. I had made her my master. I had told, I basically trained her to make all my decisions for me and then got upset when she did it, you know? And the second thing that happened was my sponsor shared her experience, strength and hope with me. She said to me, Crystal, be careful. When I got into recovery, I cut a lot of people out and I cut out my best friend too. And only later in recovery, I realized that I actually enjoyed her company and I loved her. And by then, it was too late. We could never recover what we lost. And in that moment, I was like, "Whoa!" And I remember, I, 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 at some point, I realized, you know, I actually miss my best friend with all of her flaws, with all of her humanness. I like being around her. I miss her. And I remember thinking, "Oh no, like, is it too late? Can I get back what I lost?" You know. And I didn't try and fix it because whenever I try and fix things never works out. I just worked the steps every single day. And I just showed up in whatever way she was willing for me to show up in our relationship. And today we are, we are closer than ever because we have a real adult relationship. And you know, when I made my amends to her, it was so beautiful. Like she said this to me, she was like, Crystal, you know, when you, when you lost the weight, it was hard to be around you. It was because like you changed so much. Your personality changed so much. You were a different person. You didn't want to hang out with me anymore. You didn't want to go. We, she was a foodie and we would go, you know, eat at restaurants and you didn't want to do that anymore. You didn't want to laugh anymore. You didn't want to do any of the things we used to do. And it was really hard for me. But you know what? I loved you and I wanted you to be healthy. If I had to choose between a happy crystal who was killing herself and a really unhappy struggling crystal who was at least healthy, I'll take the healthy crystal because I love you. that was the best friend that i had that i was willing to throw away and i'm so glad i didn't and i remember saying to her i was like you know my amends to her was thank you for not like walking away you if it was me i probably would have walked away thank you for not walking away from me and she said to me crystal that was never a consideration i never considered walking away from you that's the kind of best friend i had and i couldn't even see it you know um and today I'm venturing. I've never dated anyone, you know, and today for the first time I'm venturing into the world of dating. I'm dating someone for the first time. It's been, you know, I'm three years in recovery. Trust me when they tell you don't date someone in your first year, they're not kidding around. They're not kidding around. Like it really, um, don't do it. It's really not worth it. Um, the amount of fear that I face, the amount of, you know, it's frightening. It's really frightening. And dating brings up all my character defects. Every single old idea of God that I have keeps slapping me in the face every day. But I'm so grateful because everything I've learned with my mom my dad my sister my best friends I get to bring in this dating relationship most important I get to bring God into this dating relationship the person that this this man is dating right now is not the girl I was three years ago and I actually I don't even think he would he would even go on a single date with that girl three years ago or even if he went on one date he'd he'd have been out you know um and, I, and I'm so grateful that I get to be with a good man today, even in this in this dating relationship. I don't know anything about dating. I'm learning right now I'm, it's all new to me, but I'm very grateful to be learning. And what all I'm going to end with saying is, you know, life in program is not about living in a bubble. I'm not getting this, God's not giving me this recovery so I can put a bubble wrap around me and just sit in my little condo and be really safe. What God wants for me is to live life to the full, the highest of the highs, the lowest of the lows, the heartbreaks, and then the crazy ecstasy, all of it. You know, I'm meant to live life fully because my life, you know, God keeps making my life bigger and bigger. I don't believe that God doesn't give me, you know, more than I can handle on a daily basis. God gives me way more than I can handle but God never gives me more than I can surrender to him. God never gives me more than we can handle together because yes, my life gets very big, but God gets, get, get keeps getting bigger and bigger with it. Um, God's always been really big. It's just, I never saw him that way. You know? So I keep, see, I keep realizing how much bigger God really is um, just as my life keeps getting bigger and bigger. And every time I'm faced with really frightening situations in relationships because I'm faced with those every day, things scare me in relationships every single day. And I, Something a fellow told me always sticks with me, Crystal. Yes, it's hard, but life is worth it. It is worth it. Every minute of it, you know, so live life to the full. And I intend to do exactly that because if, because of this program, I get to be alive today. There's no other reason that I should be sitting here today, except for the grace of God. I'm going to live this life to the best of my ability in every single relationship. I'm going to show up because I can, and because God has given me the ability and the gift to do so. Thank you so much for letting me share. And I hope that something I've said is helpful to somebody I pass. Thank you.